Today we're going to continue in going through the book of Genesis. And this weekend, it brings us to chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis. And as we look, especially at chapter 11, this chapter reminds us of the need for unity. And I think you would agree with me that now, more than ever, do we need unity in our homes, in our churches, in our city, in our state, and in certainly our world and culture. God loves unity. The Bible teaches and speaks of unity throughout the, throughout the Bible. And one of the most famous passages, you will know it, is Psalms 133, which says how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, live together in unity. But the question that chapter 11 of Genesis asks today is what happens when unity brings division? Is there a downside to being unified? And that leads us to the title for this weekend's message, which is When Unity Divides. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the incredible privilege it is to bring your word to our church family. And I pray that today, the words that I believe you have birthed in my heart, that you would communicate to your people, that it would go beyond just of our listening ears, but it would penetrate our hearts. And that today, by the end, we would understand that it is your Holy Spirit that brings unity. And our foundation, our center, must be rooted in you. Do that today in your mighty name. Amen. Now the background of Genesis 10 and 11 really brings us to a conclusion, if you will. The 11th chapter is the conclusion of what we call primeval history, primeval history, and that's Genesis 1 through chapters 11. This transitions us from the beginnings, if you will, to the story of the Israelites and the unfolding of the patriarchal narratives. Now remember, it's important to remember, that this primeval, primeval history, chapters 1 through 11, has a storyline of two generating themes, if you will. The first, the repeated and continued failure of humanity to recognize God as authority. The one thread that goes through is that mankind continues to disregard God's authority and sovereignty over human beings. The second, though, is equally as important. It's the amazing grace of God as he interacts and as he responds to humanity's disobedience. From creation to Adam and Eve in the fall to Cain and Abel and the flood, Human beings have been portrayed as in rebellion against God almost from the beginning of their existence. And their failure to live within boundaries of God's creation has unleashed an ever-widening circle of consequences into the world. There is a continuing up and down, a web and flow, a movement, if you will, between sin and grace. 
When the focus has been on humanity and their actions, the emphasis has been on sin. But when the focus has been on God and his actions, the emphasis is on grace. Chapter 11 of Genesis, again, reminds us of humanity's bent towards sin. And chapter 12, which we'll hit next week, will once again demonstrate God's demonstration of grace. Now, if you've read through Genesis and you've looked at Genesis 10 leading into chapter 11, you'll know that Genesis 10 is often referred to as a list of nations or table of nations. It's a genealogy once again. It shows us the descendants of Noah. It shows us the descendants of his three sons, Japheth, Ham, and Shem. And for the Israelites, you have to understand that when they read this, when they heard this from Moses, this was Moses saying, here is your heritage. This is your lineage. It would be as if he was laying out their family tree. If they applied for Ancestry.com, this would be the result. Moses was reminding them, this is the world as we know it. This is who you are. And that's chapter 10. But when we get to chapter 11, Moses is saying chapter 10 is who you are. This is where we are in the world we live in. But 11 brings us to this is how we got here. He started with what they knew and then backed up and told them the story. Let's look at that together. If you have your Bible and you want to open it now or on your phone, do so to the 11th chapter of Genesis and let's look at it together. Starting in verse 1, going through verse 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Now remember, Moses is going back. If you look in chapter 10, there were different languages. There were different tribes. There were different descendants. And there were multiple languages. Moses saying, that's who we are now. But in 11, he goes back and he says, before that, the earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east... They found a plain in the land of Shinar, or Babylon, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they laid brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest... We be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold what they will do, and nothing that they propose to nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, or as it's properly pronounced, Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. That's a lot of text, so let's break that down to make sure we're all on the same page. At one time, before this ancestry, before this lineage, there was one language 
for all people. And as they migrated, as this people settled, they settled in Babylon. And there they desired to establish two things. A city and a tower, as we know, the Tower of Babel. Now the purpose, the Bible says, of them building a city and a tower was twofold. The first was they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be famous. And the second is equally as important. They wanted to make a name for themselves so they would not be separated, so they would not be dispersed or scattered. They desired to remain unified and together. So in the midst of this, God sees and he comes down. What's interesting is they were hoping to build a tower that would reach the heavens and God comes back and almost in a sarcastic way and says, I can't even see the tower from the heavens of where I'm at. I have to come down. So God comes down to see what these children of man had built. When he comes down, he says they are one people and one language. And then he says something really interesting. If you remember, he says this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing will be impossible for them. So what does God do? He confuses their language and he disperses them. He breaks the people up. God breaks their unity. Now, when you read this and you understand that, it raises some serious questions. Why does God think that this is bad? There is one language, one people. They were unified and together. Doesn't God like unity? Doesn't the Bible teach us about unity? With such an emphasis on unity in the Bible, why would God apparently destroy the unity of humanity this way? Is God really threatened by what humanity's unity can accomplish? Why would this text portray God as bringing disunity into a world that apparently is unified and working together for a common goal? Our understanding and our answering of these questions really begins in that fourth verse that we read. Let me go back to it. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. So this nomadic group of people are now settling and they're desiring to build a city and a tall tower. Now, this idea of building a city is nothing new. If you remember Cain built a city called Enoch back in chapter 4. The tower itself even is not unusually cultural. We know from ruins and archaeology that during this time in that part of the world, the early inhabitants of Mesopotamia built these types of huge step pyramids that were called ziggurats. I actually have a picture. They're going to put it on the screen now and show you what a ziggurat looks like. So this temple, if you will, was built during Mesopotamia time. It was built during this time. And they, that's a picture of one that you can see today if you travel to that part of the world. And these were temples for gods where the very top portion they believed the gods would come and reside, be a home, if you will, in that. So it may well be possible that Moses was using this mental picture of a ziggurat to deal with theological issues that he was wanting to address with the people of Israel. You see, the issue here is not the building of a city or a tower itself, the ziggurat. 
but it's the reason for building it. Looking at verse 4 again, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. So now we begin to see the root, the foundation, the purpose, and the meaning behind the people's goal of building a city and a tower. The immediate goal was to make a name for themselves. And this significance arises when reading this against the whole backdrop of the unfolding story of Genesis. The implication here is that the people are depending on themselves to define who they are and what they are about in the world. And this stands in complete contrast to God's promise to Abraham just one chapter later, which we're going to look at next week, when if you remember, God tells Abraham, I will bless you and I will make your name great. It wasn't the people's job to make their name great or to create their own identity or purpose in the world. No, God tells Abraham one chapter later, I will bless you and I will make your name great. Unity built upon self-reliance and independence from God is destined to self-destruct. Now, the second goal of the people here is to eliminate the possibility of them being scattered or dispersed. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Yet since early in the creation story, God's stated purpose for humanity is that they would fill the earth. Go back and look at Genesis 1:28. After God created human beings, mankind, he said, "Go and fill the earth." Even in chapter 9, right after the covenant covenant with Noah, God tells Noah and his sons, "Go and fill the earth." Once again, the problem here isn't the desire for unity, but rather its foundation. The foundation of Babel's unity was built on disobedience to God's instruction. God's response to the people of Babel reveals even more. Looking at verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And then God says, behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And that nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Throughout the beginning of Genesis, we have seen a fundamental problem of human beings. And it's that they don't like boundaries. They don't like anyone, even God, to put limits on what they can do. The temptation, really even the, ten- the tendency of human beings and for me and you is to sp- aspire to become like God. Now you combine that aspiration with the total depravity of man's heart as was revealed just a few chapters earlier in chapter 6. This helps us realize when God says this is only the beginning of what they will do and that nothing will be impossible for them. God is speaking of the evil humanity can accomplish. 
as believers, hopefully we understand that this is the ripple effect of sin in the world. It's far more about human beings and their capacity for sin and disobedience, wickedness and violence. God's concern here is about the tremendous capability, the tremendous capacity of human beings to bring disruption and horror into the world that God created. When God says this is the only begin this is only the beginning, God is saying this is only the beginning of mankind's evil. This is only the beginning of the disruption of God's creation. When he says that nothing will be impossible, he's speaking that nothing will be impossible for this unified evil. He's speaking of evil, not good in humanity. The unity of these people It's not something positive because they are unified around the wrong center. The focus of their unity is their own ability to establish themselves in a world apart from God. They aspire to become like God themselves, establishing their place in a world and implementing their own rules by which to live in that world. So the problem for me and you arises when people unify for their own interests and their own desires rather than God's. Any such unity that runs counter to God's purposes for his creation creation poses a tremendous risk to the world. Unity built on the wrong foundation, though well-intended, often brings greater division. Let's look further in verse seven. Come, let us go down there. God comes down and he, what does he do? He confuses their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all of the earth and they left off building the city. First God sees He witnesses the capability of humanity's selfish ambition. But now God acts and he brings judgment. God comes down and he steps in and he confuses the languages of the people to where they could no longer communicate with one another. However, we will likely miss the theological implications if we only look at the story as the beginning of different languages. This story, rather, it teaches us about the reality of how the world works when unity is not built on God's foundation. The judgment of God upon sin leads to confusion and disruption. Listen to these words. Listen to my heart on this. When human beings go against the purposes of God, The result is confusion. The arrogance and self-centeredness that compels us to define the world in our own terms results in a world which we can no longer even talk to one another. Even when we try to be united, if the basis of that unity is only ourselves, in our own ambitions, our own agendas, our own goals, we will find out that we can't even communicate adequately together. There is nothing left but babble, confusion, and disorder. 
And this is why when you and I wake up in the morning and we look at the news or we hop on social media, Facebook, we look at the world, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, red, blue, black, white, social issues, political issues, personal agendas, personal preferences, and even issues within the church. We find ourselves asking the question, why can't people just talk to one another? Why do we as human beings only seem to be united against each other? This is the question that the story of Babel, this is the question that the 11th chapter of Genesis answers. We simply haven't unified around the right thing. We have wanted to go our own way. We have decided that we are going to make ourselves our own gods and make a name for ourselves. We have excluded God's will from our lives. And in that, it introduces confusion and horror into our world. The answer is because we're suffering under the effects of sin. When we disagree, when we see posts, when we see attitudes or thoughts, you see it now, even in the world, our response is, I disagree. I don't understand. I've not experienced that to be, to be true. And the problem is I, 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 I. It's an internal work. Our unity and our foundation is not based on the leading of the Holy Spirit, a quiet listening in prayer and going, God, you need to be the center and I wanna hear your voice in this. Even at our best, human beings cannot build a foundation strong enough to, to sustain themselves apart for God. And at our worst, we have the capability of bringing unspeakable pain and horror into the world. Here in the United States, in our Western culture, we live in a world of individualism that says we can accomplish anything. Just do it. You can be anything you want to be and you can accomplish anything you want to accomplish. We live in a society and culture that measures worth and value by how great a name one can make for themselves in a nation that also seeks to make a great name for itself and by what great buildings they can erect. Yet this story of Babel, Moses in writing this 11th chapter of Genesis and telling us about our beginnings, he challenges all such ideologies and he reminds us that all human effort apart from God will end up in confusion, alienation, and disruption. People who neglect God as the center of unity will eventually see their plans abandoned and will eventually end up being scattered, speaking only for themselves. The very thing the people of Babel were trying to keep, unity was broken because their foundation of unity was not established by God. The only path to authentic human existence is through the unity of human beings as they respond to a call of God to leave a world behind that is defined by themselves and to enter a world of possibility that is defined by God's word and his spirit. Now, while the judgment in the Babel story was against a false unity built upon human ambition and independence. There is an example 
of unity that's found in the New Testament built upon the activity of God and the leading of his spirit. And it's found in the second chapter of Acts in what we know as Pentecost. This is the great reversal of Babel. It's believers from all nations gathering and waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you look at Acts, even in chapter one, Jesus is ascending into heaven and Jesus, he tells them, he says, don't leave. I'm sending you out, but I'm sending you a gift, a promise called the Holy Spirit and you wait on that gift and then you go. I love it even in Acts 1 verse 14, Paul writes and he says, they all met together and they were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women and the brothers of Jesus. Side note, it wasn't an all boys club. They were united, men and women together of all tribes, of all nations, and they were weighted, united in prayer. And then that gives us and leads us to the second chapter of Acts. Look at this in verse four. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And this speaking in other languages is speaking of ethnic languages. In verse five, at that time, there were devout Jews, it says, from every nation living in Jerusalem. So there were Jews that had come to Jerusalem, but they were living in other nations. They were Jewish people, but they spoke other languages. And then it says, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were complexed. They were completely amazed. How can this be? These people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking our own native language. The Bible goes on. It says they were from Mesopotamia. They were from Egypt. They were from Asia. Asia. They were from Libya. They were from Rome. There were Arabs there. This is a, a group of gathering of all different types of ethnicities speaking different language and the power of the Holy Spirit come and he unites them with a single foundation and the language is one. It's the reversal of Genesis 11. Now here in Acts, the focus is still both on the diversity of language and the center of unity, but it has radically different foundations. The languages of Acts 2, as I said, are representative of the various ethnic languages of those who were in Jerusalem at that time. The coming of the Holy Spirit enabled the diversity of people to hear what was said in their own native language. The Holy Spirit here breaks down the walls of language barriers and brings a unity that only God can give. It's important to note that God's gift of the Holy Spirit here at Pentecost, it does not make them all speak the same language. Hear me on this. It is not uniformity but a unity in the midst of diversity. Each one still speaks their own language. The need for this is so important is because when they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they return home, they are witnesses to the gospel of Christ in their native tongue. It doesn't erase who they are. They are still a diverse group of people. It simply gives them something beyond who they are 
that brings them together. It is a unity that is much bigger than themselves. It's a unity, Pentecost, versus a unity, a false unity that was found in Babel. The unity found here was around the activity of God and the giving of the Holy Spirit. There's no hint of arrogance. There's no hint of self-centeredness or independence or a desire to make their name great. The people here are together and they're united in prayer and they're waiting. They're following and obeying Jesus's instructions and they understand it's not something, his calling to go into all of the world, the great commission of Matthew 28, they aren't capable of doing that on their own. They're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They're waiting and they're knowing they will be scattered, but they need the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not out to make a name for themselves, but are simply waiting for God to empower them to carry out the tasks He's assigned them to do. And that brings me to the end today. And I want to end with a challenge. This is especially a challenge for those of you that are part of the ACAC family. Our mission here is to follow Jesus in diverse community. And as your next lead pastor, here is my prayer, what we would be united on. Number one, we would be united in understanding that Jesus must be the foundation of our unity. Understand and hear my heart, but the goal is not diversity. The goal is following Jesus in diversity. Jesus is the one who unifies us. We don't lose our backgrounds. We don't lose our ethnicity. We don't lose our diversity, but that's not what unifies us. Jesus Christ is who unifies us. Two, scripture must be our guide. This is our playbook. This is our mission. God's word along with Jesus Christ and his instructions is what unites us. It puts us on the same page. It gets us, as I said, the same playbook so that we're all heading in the right direction. Three, prayer must be our primary work. This is how we discern his purposes. The Bible said in Acts that the people were waiting and they were united in prayer. May we be united in prayer. Like the famous words from E.D. Whiteside that we will run errands for the Holy Spirit. How do we discern what errands we are to run? How are we to discern our to-do list and our checklist and our punch list at ACAC? That is through prayer. For the Holy Spirit must empower us. Our empowerment to accomplish the mission that God has called us to, just like the people, the early believers in Acts, must come from the Holy Spirit. And last but not least, we must be witnesses. As God challenged in Genesis that we are to fill the earth, so too we are to fill the earth. We are to go with this empowerment with a mission to spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. If we unify around those five things, around Jesus, around scripture, around prayer, around the Holy Spirit empowering us and our mission to evangelize and go, it will be a unity that is based on God's foundation and it will be centered on him and it cannot be broken. God can create a stronger unity when we allow his spirit to do it rather than working it on our own. That's my prayer. Let's join together.
Today, I am so grateful for the words written years and years ago by your servant, Moses. And though those words were written by him to the Israelites to remind them of what unified them, so they are for us today. And Lord, I pray for the unity of this church, that it would not be based on our opinions. And though we are a diverse congregation, that you would always remind us our goal and our unity is not found in our differences. Our goal and our unity is found in you. And then you take those differences, you take that diversity and you beautify it and you empower us to accomplish your mission. Would you do that today in all of us? In your mighty name, amen.